Hello, and thank you for listening to the Lost Delight Podcast. My name is Angie Hansen. I'm here with my co-host, Michelle Cowan. Hey, Angie. How are you doing today? Great. I'm doing really good. Um, today, we are introducing ourselves and our stories, and since this is our very first podcast, we are going to open with um, Michelle's story of loss to light, and she's going to walk us through her journey and just um, how she got to today with everything that has been going on in her life. So, Michelle, why don't you tell us just a little bit about your loss? Well, thanks, Angie. Um, my loss happened on March 30th, 2009. My first husband, Joe, was um, killed by a drunk driver. And it was a traumatic and complicated loss. We had a daughter at the time who was 15. So it was very hard to be a parent grieving and having a teenager grieving at the same time. Um, it's been a long journey, but we're still here. Yeah. And not only did we survive it, we're now thriving. Yes. So yes, I can tell that you are because you're doing amazing things. <laughs> um, you know, Michelle, I, I'm always curious, um, you know, during that time when you're just trying to survive, how did you help your daughter cope um, at that age? She was at such a vulnerable age. She really was. Um, you know, my first husband, Joe, his mom said to me one time that her dad's death opened something up in her, in my daughter, our daughter. And I tend to agree. Um, she, see, Joe died March 30th, 2009, and she was a sophomore in high school. And she was in the Talented and Gifted program in her high school. And that May, so not even two months after Joe died, she had to declare a topic for the fall semester of her class. And it had to be about a societal issue. And I can remember clearly the day that she called me from school and said, Mom, I have decided that I am going to, my topic is going to be about tougher laws in Nebraska, which is where her dad, my husband, was killed by a drunk driver. So she had done her research, and she decided to draft a bill for a full dram shop law in Nebraska. Wow. Nebraska does not have a, still to this day, does not have a full dram shop law, but that tells you kind of what her genetic makeup, yeah. you know, really was at 15, grieving her dad. That's amazing. And she just decided that she was going to step up and do something. And so, um, you know, we just... We helped each other. She was my source of comfort, and I was hers. Yeah. And we're really close because of it. And I, I think you probably can identify with that a little yes. bit. Yes, I can, for sure, 100%. Yeah. You know, during that time, too, um, I had you ever experienced any other major losses um, that really affected how this kind of came about or how you move forward in the grief journey? Sure. It sure did. Um, I lost my dad... Um, he died in, gosh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here right now, 1999. And his was from a heart attack and I was single at the time. And, um, I think probably the part that 
affected me the most was because I came from a big family, mm-hmm. 10 siblings. Oh, wow. I was one of the younger ones, and I was the only one that wasn't married at the time. And so I spent a lot of time with my mom, who was going on her own widow journey. Oh, wow. So yeah. she became kind of my guide, I guess. Well, for sure. Um, in watching how she went through her grief process. And I kind of learned things that I maybe wanted to do different to help myself <laughs> and things that I noticed that worked for her. Then I, I tried to help myself in mimicking some of those things. Yeah. But that was my first major loss. And then Joe was my second yeah. one. Did your, um, you know, kind of, I always find like with um, the ages, you know, with age and society that, you know, back a while ago, people just didn't talk about it. Did I mean, did your did you find that with your mom? Did she talk about it a lot or not? No, she really didn't. And she had lost a, a child too. I have a sibling that died after she was born. So my mom was the oldest of six kids. And if she was living, she'd be over 100 years old. Wow. So she she was in an entirely different generation. Yeah. But she was very stoic. And she did not... Um, she did not have the tendency to verbalize about her grief um, in ways that maybe I do. I'm very vocal about yeah. it. Yeah. So that's one too. thing I do different. <laughs> I am too. I just, I, you know, that's how we've kind of always said. We just, I want to talk about our people and everything for sure. So I, I, I love that um, you do that. And I'm glad society's changing. And that's what we're on a mission to do, that Right. And I just have to correct. I said my dad's date of death wrong. It was 1991. No, 1990. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I really messed that one up, did okay. <laughs> You know, that's all right. You know, dates, that's what we were just talking about this, um, about dates, how they're just... Widow brain. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we blame it on widow brain. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I'm curious, along your grief journey, I know you said you have a big family, um, and I know that they had been there, and a lot of your family siblings had been there to help you as well, but were there anything that, or any people that had said anything to you that hurt you or discouraged you during your grief process? Yeah, there was a couple times that I remember that stand out, and I don't even remember specifically who it was, but one person had made some comment offhand that I just needed to get over the loss. Uh. Yeah, like you get over losing somebody. I don't know who knows how to do that. Yeah, whoever came up with that statement needs to just not say it ever again. Right, right. (laughs) And then one other time, a friend of mine told me that another person that we both knew mutually had made an offhand comment like, I don't understand why Michelle's grieving so hard for her loss of her husband. You know, they just had a typical marriage like everybody else, basically, like there was nothing special that the grief should be this high. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I thought to myself, okay. Yeah. They've never lost anybody, so they wouldn't know what it feels like. Mm. Grief can hit you whether you have a spectacular marriage or a bad marriage. It doesn't matter. Grief is grief. Well, exactly. There, you, And you can't compare either. You can't compare losses upon losses, you know, whether it's a, you know, you just can't compare. No. Nope. Period. I don't like it when people do that. Um, well, so since that was kind of a discouraging or hurtful, what were some of the most helpful things someone said or did to you right after Joe died or even after the years after? Well, I think probably some of the advice came from people who have been widowed before me. It seemed like widows in general 
have this unspoken uh, kinship, if you will, that you can just look at each other and you almost can read the emotions and you don't really have to say much. You know what the other person's going through for that particular reason. Um, and I, I think it was just the support from other widows that reached out to me that had been down the path and they had heard about my loss and they just the encouragement of it will get better. My mom actually said to me that um, someday when the dust settles, it will, it will look different. Things will look different when the dust settles. And so I think about that a lot, you know, when the dust settles. I like that. So I really, really like that. Yeah. Um, You know, it's, um, things do look different for sure. And, um, you know, while, you know, while you've gone through this and the dust has been settling, as you, as you say, um, how, how have you found your light after your loss? Wow, that's a loaded question, Angie. <laughs> um, you know, I think what was helpful is I did journal through my loss, and mostly that was for the purposes to um, keep an historical record for my daughter because she was a teenager, and I didn't know what she would actually process through her grief journey. And I wanted to make sure that when she was older, maybe was a mom herself, or if she had children, that we would be the tellers of the story. And so I I kept a lot of journals, which I did then put into a book, which I published in March called Better Not Bitter, A Journey from Heartache to Healing. And it's amazing. (laughs) Thanks. Um, So I think the process of journaling, and then fairly early on, I was trying to find grief support groups that fit my needs, you know, raising a teenager by myself when I was grieving and she was grieving, and so I would go to these widowed, spousal-type grief support groups, and I would get there, and I would be much younger than the people around me. None of them were still raising children, and so it didn't really fit my needs, and so I did find an online support group that was called Young Widows Bulletin Board. It's no longer in service. (laughs) Um, But that was the start of a really, really great journey of healing for me. There was like 13,000 people on this group from all over the world. And so sometimes in the middle of the night when I couldn't sleep and I was grieving so hard and I was tired of exhausting my close friends around me, I could get online and talk to somebody, you know, in another state. And, and just discuss the grief that I was feeling and so forth. And and then I did venture out. They started having, like, in-person meetings. Oh, nice. Um, they used to have one in the Ozark called, get this, Widows Gone Wild. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So that would just, a, a bunch of widowed people would come together for a weekend and hang out at the lake and eat and just bond and cry and laugh and do all those kind of things that promote healing. Yeah. I love that. And, well, and I went to Dallas, Fort Worth area for another in-person meeting and one in Des Moines. We had one in Omaha, and I got to thinking about that we actually needed something in the Omaha Council Bluffs area. There really wasn't anything. Yeah. So a widower that I had met through that online group, his name's Brian, we decided to make the Omaha Council Bluffs uh, Young Widow Group. And it's still going on today. It's just a support group. Um, 
it's not a professional group for grief, but it's more just support and social. Yeah. So that widows can go out to dinner together. And when I say widows, I mean men and women. Mm-hmm. Widows and widowers can go out to dinner together, socialize. Sometimes they'll break off into mini little groups to go to the movies together or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was the best tool on my widow journey was just simply being with other widowed people. Well, because they just knew. They knew exactly. I mean, you all knew exactly how you were feeling. It didn't matter what, how people had died um, within, right. you know, the group. It was just, it's knowing that that person across from you, like you said, you just look at them and they know. They know the loneliness. They know the feeling of just... You don't have to explain yourself. You don't yourself. have to explain yourself. And you just feel comfortable. Well, you feel free to yeah. just let your emotions be how they are. You don't have to hide anything. And if you feel like laughing, you can laugh. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, they, they, they understand that it's okay to laugh and smile. And if I want to cry, it's okay to cry too. Yeah. The yeah. dark widow humor. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love, I, I just love that. Um, <laughs> that's great. You know, tell us a little bit about, um, your book. Um, I know, um, you know, this is kind of, this I think is probably one of the most, I don't know if exciting is the word, but the most exciting thing you've done since Joe has died, which has been 14 years, correct? Yeah, we're 14, almost 14 and a half years. Yeah. So, um, you know, um, you have been promoting this book and you've done a phenomenal job on it and um, just kind of Tell everybody just like the little, like what this has done for you emotionally, um, good or bad, but where you also want to kind of see this going along with, you know, our podcast that we're starting. Yeah. Um, well, so I initially was journaling just to keep the historical components for my daughter. And then um, a couple of years ago, I started losing my vision, and that in and of itself triggered some of the post-traumatic stress from losing Joe, and it kind of like opened all that up again, and I had to kind of like get back into myself, you know, and analyze where I was in my life, and have I done everything that I needed to do with my vision? Oh, yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. When the prospect of of losing your vision comes before you and it's real. Yeah. And um, so it's it was a scary time, but I decided that um, I was going to embrace it the best that I could. And so I decided that one thing that I might need my vision to do was to finish this book that I was going to write for my daughter. So I didn't know how to do it. And I went to a retreat in Okoboji. If the listeners on here aren't familiar with Okaboji. It's uh, we have a group of lakes in northern Iowa called Okaboji, their Spirit Lake. And um, this lady by the name of Julie Gamut, she used to be with the Des Moines Register. She started this um, this retreat, and she brought together all these participants and these speakers. And so I went to the first one, and listened to all the speakers who had done various types of writing, whether it was poetry, memoirs, fiction, nonfiction, movies, whatever. And so, um, and it was at that retreat 
that two things in my life happened that kind of put me on this new path. One was I met an author by the name of Deborah Engel. She uh, is from Iowa, and one of the books that she wrote, which I have, is called The Only Little Prayer That You Need. Anyway, I had the opportunity to get into one of her small group sessions. Nice. And in this small group session, we were given a list of topics, and we had a few minutes to write the lead-in portion of the question, and we would finish it. And I don't remember off the top of my head what my question was, but it was something to do with... Um, something that I knew that others might not know. And I wrote about, like, my husband being killed by a drunk driver and never getting an apology from the drunk driver because she was killed at the same time. Anyway, um, so in that session, after I got done reading my little paragraph, the lady next to me, her name's Carrie, she just spoke up and said, wow, I could have been that drunk driver. Wow. And it was just an aha moment. You know, I'm sitting here in this group of about 10 people. And, and then she begins to tell her story, her paragraph, which was about sobriety. Oh, wow. And so it took me several weeks to really understand the true impact of what happened at that moment in time. But I had realized that even though I thought I had forgiven the drunk driver, I really hadn't. Yeah. And so I did a lot of soul searching after that retreat and asked myself, why haven't I been able to forgive? And I think the thing that I came to realize was that I subconsciously felt like if I forgave the drunk driver, then maybe I was dishonoring Joe. Okay. And so I had to kind of work through all of those emotions that were around that, but ultimately I did I did forgive the drunk driver and it released me. Oh wow. You know, when we forgive people, it's our true gift that we give to ourselves. And in in forgiving others, that gift we give to ourselves can be life-changing. And for me it was. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I just felt like all this old baggage that I had been dragging around for over 12 years, I suddenly was able to start letting it go. Wow. So then I decided after that that I, I needed to, to go forward with my book. And so I enlisted the help of Deborah Engel. She became my writing coach and She's fabulous. I love that. Yeah. So I would send her chapters that I had written, and then she'd give me the feedback. And anyway, so once a rough draft was ready to go, I was like, okay, now what? (laughs) You know, I've got this. (laughs) And several people that had read my writings had told me, Michelle, you need to publish this. It's going to help people. And at first, I didn't really think that it was... Uh, it was just my story. How was it going to help everybody, you know? And so anyhow, after giving it a lot of prayerful thought and then talking to my daughter and Joe's only living relative, uh, his brother, John, and getting their blessings to publish it publicly, I decided I would go forward in that manner. But I still didn't know what to do. Yeah. So Deb helped me um, connect with a company called My Word Publishing. Okay. It's like a hybrid publisher that helps 
guide you through publishing, self-publishing a book. Okay. I had thought about doing traditional where you prepare a proposal and send it to agents and stuff. And when I talked to one person about it, um, one agent, he said, you can't put all that in one book. <laughs> and I said, well, what do you mean I can't put all that in one book? It's only about like a two-year span of my life. And he's like, well, yeah, you've got this about the drunk driver and the dram shop and the failed investigation. And then over here, you've got about loss and grief and hope and communication with the dead people. And But it's all wrapped in all of that. <laughs> it's right. all wrapped up into one. No, I think that's what people don't understand is that's all wrapped up into one little bubble. Exactly. And it needs to be shared at once. Right. To understand I, the whole story. Yeah. I said, I can't tell half my story <laughs> exactly. and not the other half. Right. It, no, I don't want to do it that way. Yeah. I want to follow my gut. Yeah. And I want to tell my story the way I want to tell my story. Yeah. So I worked with My Word Publishing. They provided me with a um, manager consultant. Her name was Stephanie. She was fabulous. Okay. And she did all the back work, you know, like applied for the ISNBN numbers. Yeah. She um, uploaded it on Amazon. She sent it off to the Library of Congress. Wow. Just she did all that legwork that a person doesn't know how to do if you're writing a book. Right, right. Or even think about doing. Right. I had no clue. <laughs> I just knew I had a story. Exactly. Right. And I, I wanted to put it in the book. Yes. So she helped me get hooked up with editors who professionally edited the book several rounds. Um, that was a little bit hard. After a couple of beta readers read it, they're like, well... We need to tighten up the storyline. So then slash goes about 10,000 words, you know, and it was hard to see those 10,000 words yeah. go bye-bye. Oh, I can't imagine. Because it, it was my story. Yeah. But well. I I paid these people to help yeah. me, so I had to listen to them. Yeah, you had to have trust in them. I did. I did. And then uh, she introduced me to a book designer. And that, there's a cool story there. I'll share that one. So, um. This book designer. It's beautiful design, by the way. Your your book cover. Thank is you. Thank you. Her name is Victoria Wolf. And so I had never met her before. And my managing consultant, or Stephanie, said, I think you should go with Victoria. She's really good to work with. I'm like, that's fine, whatever. So I she sent my manuscript to Victoria. And then Victoria and I had a phone call, and before we even get started, Victoria says, you know, I've got to tell you a weird story, and I'm thinking, okay. And she said, uh, you know, we live in, my husband and I travel in the RV, and we were in Council Bluffs at one point in time, and I don't know how I stumbled across your story on the internet, but I did, you know, the yeah. the the newspaper clippings about the death of your husband and what your your daughter did. And so I kind of got into your story and read it. And that, and that was not recent. That was previous. Yeah. And then she got my manuscript and she started reading my manuscript and she's like, Wait. this is that story I read when I was in Council Bluffs. Oh, wow. So it was kind of like one of those God winks. Yes. So anyhow, she designed my cover. She did the whole layout, set it all up so it was prepared to go to Amazon. Oh, a lot of credit for the beauty of the book to her. She did a fabulous job. She's helped me with some marketing stuff. And so 
There's, yeah. There you have it. My book has been out since March. It's been a bestseller on Amazon. Oh, yay. I love it. Yeah, four weeks into it, it was in the top 100 books. It came in as number 15 wow, on Amazon. Wow, congrats. Yeah. yeah, that's so awesome. Well, and so like with that, all that with your book too, don't you feel... Um, do you, are you seeing the light? Are you seeing the light? Actually, that's really a good question, Angie. Um, and I haven't even talked about this part yet. I'm remarried. Oh, yes, uh, we, yes. we will celebrate our ninth wedding anniversary in August. And um, my second husband, Steve, has been incredibly supportive. I cannot even begin to tell you how supportive he's been. And when I chose to write this book, he was right there. He's my biggest cheerleader. When I would feel insecure, kind of doubting myself, he would cheer me on. And um, I'll save it for the listeners, but in the, in the epilogue of the book is a really cool story about how I decided to marry Steve. Yes, I, I know what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's another God wink story. Yes, yes. But if you believe in after-death communications, <laughs> that book is right up your alley. Yes. Anyway, um, so when I, I finished the book and it was ac- actually published, I, all of a sudden, it was kind of like when I forgave the drunk driver, I felt like this baggage had like gone away. It was like another layer of something slid off me. Yeah. Like for the first time since Joe's death, I felt like I was really stepping into my current life. And I've told people before, I felt like I always had one foot in Joe's grave. And I would teeter back and forth and back and forth. And I couldn't quite take that step out of his grave and I think it was subconsciously because I had to narrate my story. Mm-hmm. I had to put it together to put it to rest, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you say that. Yeah. That's and, amazing. And so I felt like it enabled me to be more present and current in my current relationship with Steve. And, and it's actually helped me just all around be yeah. more present in my life. And because of that... I heard a quote once, maximize the rest of your life. Yes, love that. And when you think about those words, they're just simple words, right? Mm -hmm. But when you think about maximizing what time we have left, then you can ask yourself, just like I did when I lost my vision, what haven't you done yet that you might need your vision? Mm -hmm. Well, ask yourself, what haven't you done to maximize your life that you have left? And I think as widows, mm-hmm. we can look back on our life and see that, well, okay, our spouse's life was cut short. They didn't quite get to maximize their life. No. no. And so we need to maximize our life where we, we are at right now. And so this podcast and, you know, it's how we got to the, let's talk about how we got here today, okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, Todd Studer who runs this podcast facility in Council Bluffs, um, he interviewed me for one of his podcasts, which is called Success in Iowa. If you haven't heard that podcast, I suggest that you go on. I've been listening to all the episodes. Yeah, they're, they're good. They're good. They're I've listened really to a few, good. yes. Yeah, I the really... that you did was very good. And that was your first one that you had interviewed for, right? Right, yeah, right. Yeah, you did a phenomenal job. Thank you. Anyway, we got done. Todd said, Michelle, 
you should do a podcast. You're you're kind of a natural at this talking stuff. And I was like, nah, not me. <laughs> you know how sometimes seeds are planted? It's like we all have a legacy to leave, correct? Correct. And if you think about like your legacy being a garden of flowers, like what do you want your garden, how do you want your garden to grow after you're gone? Mm-hmm. You know, a legacy yeah. is like a garden. It is. And so that old Todd, he planted a seed in my garden and it started <laughs> growing. And I thought, well, I wouldn't want to do a podcast by myself, <laughs> but I've been listening to your podcast. <laughs> Angie's become a pro at it. I've, I've been a guest uh, what do I call myself? A podcast guester or guester podcast? <laughs> yeah, she's on quite a few. Anyway, so I reached out to Angie and I said, "Hey, you want to do a podcast together?" And she was right on board. Yeah, I was like, when you when you called me, I was like, you know, I said, I've had the same seed planted. Actually, you know, people had been saying the same thing to me, and so I said, you know what? Let's do it. What do we have to lose? We have nothing. Nothing. In fact, we got together and we started talking about this podcast. What would our goal be? Uh-huh. And we both were right in sync and online with, we want to give hope to other people. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is big for both of us because if you have been on a journey of loss, and it doesn't have to just be a spouse or a child or a parent, think about all the the losses that humans in general experience mm-hmm. that are life-changing. Yeah, yeah, so many. You know, uh, an accident where somebody dis- disabled after yeah. that or major illness. Yep. You know, um, well, like my friend Carrie, addiction. Yes, and you we'd know, love to have her on sometime. You know, I think we'll get her on the get her <laughs> on the podcast with us because she's got quite a story yeah. to share. And... Um, so we decided that finding the light after loss, what, whether it be any kind of loss, is really important in life because what? We're going to maximize our life. Correct. And so it was just a natural fit for both of our journeys where we're at. We're kind of on the same timeline. My yeah. husband died in 09 and yours? 09 as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. February 8th of 09. Yeah. March 30th. So we yep. were right side yep. by side. Yeah. Because you remember I had said, I was like, I don't even remember a lot because since my husband had died, you know, about a month and a half prior, you know, I didn't watch the news or anything. You know, I was living in my own little grief world at that point. So, you know, I didn't even see anything like that. And so I learned a lot about it after reading your book. Yeah. So that was, I thought that, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. Right, right. And and I think that's, that comes in general with like a, a major loss like we suffered uh-huh. um, and lived through and thrived from that your life is like uh, before the spouse died and then after the spouse right. died. I know. It's just, yeah, we you have these dates. I have, yeah, it's just these dates before and after always. And um, yeah, I just think it's amazing. Um, I do want to ask too. What about your daughter today? How is your daughter thriving in her light after loss? Yeah, she, you know, I will go back and share that, the dram shop um, that we did. And this is all outlined in my book. Um, So she crafted this bill through her talented and gifted program. And she needed to find a senator in Nebraska to introduce it into the Judiciary Committee. So I would drive her to the Capitol in Lincoln, and we would walk the halls of justice trying to find a senator to help us. And you know what? We couldn't find anybody. That's crazy to me. I learned so much about the laws 
through your book. Yeah, we just couldn't find anybody. And I knew that part of her journey of healing and grief was trying to make something good out of her dad's death. And for her, this wasn't just a class project. This was her healing. Mm-hmm. And as a parent, as you know, we would do anything for our children, especially in those circumstances where we want them to heal. Mm-hmm. So I was in Lincoln one day for an appointment. And when I was there, um, I saw this big billboard. It had Tom... Osborne on it. Now, imagine that. Imagine that in, <laughs> in Lincoln, Nebraska. Nebraska. <laughs> As we all know, Tom is a beloved member of the state of Nebraska. Yes. He, he was uh, the head football coach for many years in Nebraska, and he was also a U.S. congressman. Anyway, I knew that Tom's philosophy from other things that were in the news uh, was about overdrinking. He He didn't agree with it. And so I thought popped in my mind. I thought, well, maybe I should reach out for him to him and just see. So I called his office the next day and spoke to his secretary and explained my situation and what we were going through and what my daughter was up against. And so much to my surprise, I got a call back from Tom Osborne himself. <laughs> That's amazing. Good job. He called and he agreed to meet with my daughter. Mm-hmm. So first stop for me was driving to the cemetery to have a conversation with my late husband about it. He was a big Tom Osborne, <laughs> Nebraska Huskers football fan. Yeah. And I just knew if I could picture him in heaven, he was up there telling everybody, that's my wife talking to Tom Osborne. Anyway, um, so I drove my daughter down to Lincoln. And we met with Tom in his office, big red leather chairs. It was really cool. And she presented to him. And he just simply turned over on his desk and picked up his phone and dialed the number. And he was talking to Senator Tom Carlson from Holdridge, Nebraska. Wow. He agreed to meet with us. So then we left his office and went over to Tom's off, Tom Carlson's office. And he agreed to introduce the bill. Oh, wow. So we worked very hard for two sessions okay. to try to get that bill introduced. And sadly, there's um, eight members of the Judiciary Committee, and we needed the majority to vote in our favor, which would have been five, to um, get it to pass outside of the Judiciary Committee into the, the full um, the full committee of people to vote on it and we did not have five votes we had two oh, I'm sorry to hear that so at the end of that time my daughter was getting ready to graduate from mm-hmm. high school yeah because I was like in February and she was graduating that May and I said Anna Joe, you've tried really hard it's it's time for us to hang our hats up mm-hmm. you need to focus on the next leg of your journey that's graduating from high school, getting ready for college. So she um, went to school at Creighton University. Nice. That's where her dad went, okay. right here in Omaha. And um, so, in fact, a little story I shared in the book was when we went to go to Creighton to look at the college, we were just walking around, and we were in the business section. And this professor introduced himself to us, and we told him our names, and he said, Oh, did you know Joe Cowan? 
And my daughter's like, well, that was my dad. And he's like, yeah, he was a student here. And we even had a, a service for him at Creighton after he was killed, oh, really? which we didn't know about. Oh, oh. So we didn't yeah. make it, but otherwise we would have, which was really nice. Yeah, but yeah. that's another little God wink. It, it is. My daughter looked at me and she's like, I'm coming. I'm, I'm going to go to school at Creighton. So <laughs> Good for her. She graduated early. She moved to uh, Atlanta, Georgia for a while. Uh, she had been a national Coca-Cola scholar. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, oh, I of, hear about them. She's smarty. Yeah. And so she, uh, she was down there and she met this young man and they began a long distance relationship. They're now married and they have a couple of children and they live in a city that's not too far from me, and so I get to see them. And uh, she's vice president and director of a health a health management area of a bank. Wow. She's doing very well. Good for her. Good yep. for her. She found her light. She did find her light, it sounds like, and especially now probably raising, you know, your two little grandchildren. <laughs> that's got to be just, I mean, uh, filling her soul up. It, it is. And you know one thing that's really interesting to me about her is – you know, I am a nurse, and I worked in healthcare. Uh-huh. And her dad was an accountant. Um, he actually had been a federal agent for the IRS before he worked for the state of Nebraska in the Cancer Institute at Epley. And so his background was business and accounting. And so the area she works in right now, uh, she was an accounting business major, and so, but she works in the healthcare arena. So yes. she like married she both did. of her parents' <laughs> careers. Oh, wow. For her own career. Yeah, she did. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Well, I think, you know, Michelle, um, it's been good. I feel like um, we're doing a good thing here. I'm super excited for our journey to continue on with this. Um, Do you have, I know you gave us a quote, you know, we're going to try to, in our podcast, um, just try to end with, you know, quotes or inspiration, you know, from us and our guests. Um, podcasters. So do you have anything else you want to add for the end of yours? Yeah, actually, when I do my book signings and, and my um, guest speaking engagements, uh, another quote that somebody said to me is, not everything in life is good, but good can come out of everything. So I end with choose better, be better. Yeah, I love that. As kind of a nod to my book, yeah. Better Not Better, A Journey from Heartache to Healing. Yeah, I and love that. And you can find it on Amazon. Yes, and we will list um, all the links um, to all the places that Michelle's at, and um, we will post everything on there so you can look her up and look her up on Amazon and all that. So Thanks, Angie, for yes. talking about my story today. Yes, and, yes. and to our listeners, um, You can uh, listen in on episode number two, and we're going to let you get to know Angie. Yes, perfect. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you. Have a great week. Yep.